Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Last night, uh, obviously, foreign policy came up. The war in Ukraine came up. Uh, and uh, very little attention actually was paid at all to Vladimir Putin and Russia. Uh, but I wanted to bring back onto the program Matt Shoemaker, uh, because he is a former intelligence and naval officer. We've had him on before. He's a military and national security expert. And he's also, uh, as I understand it, Matt, you are, are you running for Congress as well now? Yes, sir, I am. I'm running out of North Carolina's 13th congressional district here in the Raleigh area. Why in the world would you do such a thing? <laughs> Self-hatred, actually, more than anything. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm running to send intelligence to D.C. and to defund stupidity. Oh, there you go. Oh, I got it. Restored intelligence. That's good. Send intelligence to D.C. Good one. Uh, all righty, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, this guy that apparently had an accident uh, while flying in a plane. Uh, was he over Russia? Was he in Russian airspace? This fellow Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was the uh, the head of the Wagner Group, the mercenary group. Yes, sir. So this was firmly within Russian territory. From my understanding, it, the plane itself was flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg, which is usually a pretty short flight. Um, but as we talked about this topic a few months ago, after the the aborted mutiny of the Wagner Group against uh, Putin back in June, I, I mentioned that if I were Progozin, I would certainly be concerned about falling out of a window. But it turns out he didn't fall out of a window, but he did fall out of the sky, as it mm. seems. The British, from my understanding, the British government, uh, it seems to believe that the, uh, the Russian military actually might have shot the plane out of the sky with its anti-aircraft missiles. So that still has to be confirmed, but that does seem to be at least a rumor going on at the moment. I had read that uh, yesterday that there were people that had changed their names to Yevgeny Prigozhin in order to obfuscate, to, to throw people off the trail. Um, are, have you heard that? And is that, a, is that a common tactic? And is it, I guess, possible that he actually wasn't taken out? So I have heard those rumors. There, there have been a few articles written about that in the press. The reason why those can have at least a, a shred of believability to it is because Pergozin was known to uh, use doubles. He was known to uh, have a great deal of disguises and that he would sometimes even show up to certain situations in, in uh, different wigs and different disguises to try and mask who exactly he was. So there, although there is a, a shred of, of, of believability to those stories, the reason why I don't put too much stock in, into them right now and think they're a little bit more on the realm of speculation and conjecture is based off of how quickly the Russian government confirmed that Prigozhin was on that particular flight. So what that tells me, you know, as a former intelligence officer, that someone in the Russian government was tipped off that he was going to be there uh, and they they were aware of it before anything really happened. So I, I'm sure we can count on uh, on the Russians to do an extensive investigation as to how this happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I trust them about as much as I trust 
the FBI's geek squad to handle Hunter Biden's laptop. Okay, so the Wagner Group. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, organization. Um, where uh, where is it now? Because if I remember correctly, that when the, he he attempted the mutiny, uh, they kind of pulled up outside of Moscow, and then they all went home, and it was like, okay, no problem, uh, you're you're totally forgiven or something. But then Putin was also making comments about uh, you know treason and people will be held accountable. So where is the where's the Wagner Group now? And are they are they in Ukraine? Because apparently, right, they were doing a lot of the fighting in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, so in terms of where they are on the ground, it's a, it's a bit confused at the moment because, as you mentioned, there was there was a significant amount of talk about Pergozin um, and Wagner moving its headquarters and moving most of its base of operations out of Belarus, actually, the country right next door to Russia. And, and from what I've seen, for the most part, that was actually happening. The, the Belarusian government was creating these military bases for for Wagner to operate out of. There have been a number of uh, reports that the Polish government uh, on the border with Belarus was very concerned that that Wagner operatives were were operating in the area. So for the most part, from what we can tell, is that Wagner was mostly based out of of Belarus at this point. They certainly have a very large footprint in Central Africa, actually, as well. That's where they do a lot of their operations uh, that are very lucrative for the Russian government. Um, so so uh, in terms of what they're doing in Ukraine at this point, it's a bit confused. Um, there, it's not exactly clear what they're doing in Ukraine, but for the most part, they seem to be operating mostly out of Belarus. So is there a possibility that the Wagner Group does not take too kindly to the assassination of its leader and they they turn around and do another march on Moscow? So uh, short answer is probably not. Uh, in, this, uh, in this plane crash, not only was uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin allegedly in the plane, but so was his number two as well, both of whom allegedly died. So to have the top two people in your organization um, be taken out in one fell swoop is, is, is certainly going to create a lot of confusion within the top ranks. And for that matter, if this was actually an assassination, these Two individuals are likely to not be the only ones to be killed uh, in the next few days or weeks. If I were at the top of Wagner uh, leadership, I would certainly be very concerned um, for my own safety now. The only difference is that their deaths would likely not make international headlines. So if, if Wagner is going to try and launch some sort of operation in response to this, it probably will happen in the next 72 hours. But any time after that, it, it starts to get a lot more difficult for them to achieve it. Okay, so then do they stay and, and continue fighting in Ukraine? Yeah, that's a great question. It really kind of depends on what the leadership looks like at that point. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of unclear with regards to how um, focused the leadership actually is or whether or not it's a, it's a top-down leadership perspective or if there is uh, a fair amount of leadership from the grassroots, if you will, lower level echelon leadership. If if the Wagner organization mirrors the, the Russian military, which it most likely does, is that their leadership is going to be concentrated at the top. Most decisions are going to be made at the top and everyone down from there is expected to do what the leader says. So with with the head of the snake gone, it, it ends up being very difficult for Wagner to, to reorganize itself.
So do they just, what, get incorporated into the Russian military? And and maybe we should take a step aside here and say, uh, explain, like, like, these mercenary groups and their role versus the Russian army. Sure. So with regards to the Russian military, the Russian military is an extremely corrupt organization. It's also a very top-down organization. There is very little leadership that is expected from lower echelon individuals, even lower level um, officers like army captains and like. They're all expected to report back to Moscow and get their marching orders from Moscow itself. Um, That's one of the drawbacks that the Russians have found with regards to Ukraine is that they need on-the-ground decision-making that can make these quick decisions when the Ukrainians are attacking and they're not able to get it which is why the Wagner organization provided a nice relief for the, for the Russian military, is that they were supposed to be kind of like a private organization that is able to operate in a more streamlined, quicker fashion than the Russian military could operate. So that's why they had a lot of successes in eastern Ukraine, uh, and that's actually why Yevgeny Prigozhin was so popular amongst the Russian population, was because he achieved results. So then do the people that are left over in Wagner, do they just get incorporated into the Russian military? So that uh, was part of the agreement to a certain extent um, back in June after the aborted mutiny, is that any Wagner or um, Wagner personnel that did not want to be prosecuted for their, for their participation in the mutiny, they could either join the regular ranks of the Russian military or they could go to Belarus with Wagner, where they would then be stationed. Um, so in terms of what the, the future holds for, for Wagner, uh, you know, putting my, my intelligence assessment cap on, I would probably say a, a year from now, Wagner probably does not exist in uh, any kind of resemblance that it does today. And then final question, is that good for Ukraine? It's encouraging. Um, because Wagner was the ones that were achieving the major results, at least offensively, from the Russian perspective. Defensively, the the Russian military does seem to be fairly capable. The the, uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive has certainly not achieved the results that Ukrainians had hoped for. Um, And at this point, though, with, with Prigozhin's death, you know, it's bad news for Ukraine because Prigozhin, if he had become leader of Russia, had he overthrown Putin, it's quite possible that he was in favor of ending the war in Ukraine early. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it's bad news for Ukraine, um, but it's good in that Wagner um, may not be the, uh, the ones that they have to deal with going forward. Yeah. Matt Shoemaker, former intelligence and naval officer. He's also a candidate running for uh, North Carolina's 13th Congressional District. Matt Shoemaker, thanks for your time, sir. I appreciate it. All right, more on that in a minute. First, let me tell you, the Heritage Life Skills event was fantastic. Every year, Bill and Jan Sturette organize the event to help people get educated on how to be prepared for anything. The Sturettes own Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials you'll need for any kind of emergency. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies, because being prepared is just smart. The Heritage Life Skills event brings education 
educators and vendors from all over to help people do just that, I was honored to be able to be a small part of it. And whether you're an experienced prepper, have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? The email is pete at the petecalendershow.com and uh, Twitter is at Pete Calendar. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Spencer. He's been waiting patiently. Hello, Spencer. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Pete? Hey, I'm good. What's up? I think I have a better way to do the uh, debates. And it sort of works like uh, Final Jeopardy. You have your... Uh, co-host, I mean, uh, moderator asked the question and the, I mean, candidate writes his answer down. And whoever can can write the best. Can you imagine uh, Ramaswamy and Joe Biden having to write their answers down and wonder (laughs) what Joe Biden's answer would look like? Uh, well, write it down. I mean, if all these guys had to write their answers down, there wouldn't be all this food fight going on. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to see the, what they've written down, can't, you could just go to their websites, right? Yeah, but they have to do it there in front of the sweaty TV lights. <laughs> well, to be fair, the lights are not sweaty. The lights make you sweaty. But, yeah. um, well, so you're thinking like, I mean, because I'm intrigued by the idea here. I'm just kind of. I'm like turning over some of the I they have a little screen that they write their answer on and that has to be displayed like at the end of Final Jeopardy right 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 so I got that part of it I'm clear on the writing on the screen part my question is like to what extent how much writing are we talking about because I'm not going to sit there and watch a bunch of people write for you know 15 minutes as they put together a whole essay or something so I'm thinking then is the Jeopardy is the are the questions like Jeopardy so we're going to get um, we're going to get you know I'll take foreign policy for 200 well no that wouldn't work because everybody would go for the easy questions you would have to have the uh, host, I mean moderator, give the question. And then they would have maybe a minute to write something down. Right, but I think we go full Jeopardy. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't want to... I think you're selling you this idea short, man. I think we go full Jeopardy. You do foreign policy. You do wokeism. You do uh, environment, climate change, whatever. You have all the different categories. And so whoever finishes with the most amount of money wins the debate. Yeah, that would work. And then you, <laughs> right, and then you go to the final round, and then you do the writing part. Um, the question is that you're going to have to come up with questions... And then answers, obviously, uh, in the form of a question. But you're going to have to come up with the questions that have discrete answers, you know? So, you know, I don't know how you would award, like, if someone says, uh, you know, is... Well, I mean, I guess if you wrote the questions well enough, but they'd all have to be kind of like yes, no, or discrete answer questions. And then it would work. Yes. How about this? How about this? Wheel of Fortune. Maybe we do it. Well, no, that wouldn't. Have, oh, Price is Right. We could do Price is Right. Door number one or door number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, what was the one in the olden days uh, where somebody was lying and everybody else was telling the truth? I've got a secret. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe do something like that. I don't know. 
I like the game show idea. I like the idea, Spencer. I appreciate the call. Sure. Yes, sir. There, remember, there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. All we do is test. We test the, the ideas. We try to see, okay, how does this work? We try to make the, the, the idea work. That's what it's all about. All right, so last night, some of the biggest fireworks occurred around Ukraine, Russia, and uh, this, uh, this posture, you know, America first versus sort of isolationism, like what's the difference, you know, uh, and I think everybody is on board. Everybody on that stage seemed to be on board with securing the southern border. Everybody said they want to secure the southern border. So it's that that's that's not in that's not in doubt. The question is, do you send more money to help Ukraine fight the Russian invasion? And so like I said, there were a lot of fireworks. We'll get to those in a minute. Send me your messages at Pete Callender, also the Pete Cal- or Pete at the Pete com. Let me play this uh this next clip it runs about 4 minutes, but it is worth it. The Ukraine Vivek Ramaswamy was the only one to raise his hand when they said, show of hands, everybody, to say no more money for Ukraine. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, secure our own border instead of somebody else's. And the reality is this is also how we project strength. And he by making America strong by? at home. Thank you. Right. We, we heard the names. Governor Christie first. Oh my God! Look, I did go to Ukraine, and I went to Ukraine because I wanted to see for myself what Vladimir Putin's army was doing to the free Ukrainian people. And let me tell you, I want you all to look around this arena tonight and imagine that every one of these seats was filled. And if every one of them was filled, there would still be 2,500 more children outside to make over 20,000 who have been abducted, stolen, ripped from their mothers and fathers, and brought back to Russia to be programmed to fight their own families. They have gouged out people's eyes, cut off their ears, and shot people in the back of the head, men, and then gone into those homes and raped the, the daughters and the wives who were left as widows and orphans. This is, this is the Vladimir Putin, this is the Vladimir Putin who Donald Trump called brilliant and a genius. If we don't stand up against this type of autocratic killing we in the world, to we will be next. You were mentioned. Governor Haley, we'll come back. Vice President, President Pence was mentioned. You get 30 seconds. Yeah, well, let me, let me be clear. Anybody that thinks that we can't solve the problems here in the United States and be the leader of the free world has a pretty small view of the greatest nation on earth. That is incorrect. We can do both, Vivek. We've done both. 
We've been the leader of the free world and the arsenal of democracy for years. The Reagan doctrine years ago made it clear. We said, if you're willing to fight the communists on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them there so our troops don't have to fight them. Vivek, if we do the giveaway that you want to give to Putin to give him his land, it's not going to be too long for he rolls across a NATO border, and frankly, our men and women of our armed forces are going to have to go and fight him. I want to let the Ukrainians fight and drive Putin and the Russians back out I have a newsflash. The USSR does not exist anymore. It fell back in 1990. Oh my gosh, that's like almost the, hey, the 80s called. They want their foreign policy back line that Obama laid on uh, Romney when Romney said Russia's the biggest geopolitical foe. <laughs> that's what that one sounded like to me. Again, another kind of channeling of, of the O. I don't know. The real threat. You talked about the communists. And the real communists that we have to address right now is the idea what I, Vladimir I Putin's aims you, are. You already spoke. Now I actually have something Vladimir to say. Putin seconds. has been saying he wants to reestablish the old you, Soviet sphere of influence. You've made your point, Vice President. Vice President now, Pence, you, I'm sorry if I insulted him by calling him a communist. He is a dictator and a murderer. And the United States of America needs to stand against authoritarianism. Respond. The real threat we face today is communist China, and we are driving Russia further into China's arms. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest right. threat we face. Okay. Nobody in either political party is talking about it, and I am the, I am the only non-neocon on this stage who will keep us out of war. Mr. Vice President, oh my Mr. Vice President, to give Russia Mr. Vice President, Mr. Vice President, give them a promise that Ukraine will never be in NATO, and then somehow. Mr. China will not think about taking Taiwan. We achieve peace through strength. Mr. America needs to stand for freedom. Okay. Okay. So that I think is where people kind of turned on Mike Pence because he was just he just would not <laughs> he would not shut up at some points. But this is a I think this is a fair question that um, Ramaswamy is saying that if we. Uh, continue expanding NATO, and I've seen this argument before. You keep pushing and pushing, right? And that's you know the Russians when the uh, USSR collapsed. They're like, if you keep doing that, uh, then you're going to isolate Russia and you're going to push them into China's arms. I understand that argument, but I don't understand the argument that if you just allow them to have their way with Ukraine and expand into Ukraine, well now they're right up against NATO borders, right? Does that not also push them? To China's arms, why does that make them less likely to pal around with China, you know? Um, Haley then addresses this. Nikki Haley then addresses this. And it gets very, very, well, it gets more testy, actually. But what's really important is go back to when China and Russia held hands, shook hands before the Olympics and named themselves unlimited partners. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro American country. 
First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 and, seconds. Mr. DeSant, you know, Nikki, DeSantis, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of, of the Lockheed matter, and Raytheon, and you. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you heard what you heard what he said there. I wish you the best in your future role on the boards of Raytheon and and Lockheed Martin. These defense contractors. That's. So he's slamming her as being part of the military-industrial complex, obviously. She does not take kindly to that. You know, you Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie let, all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? This, you want to okay, let me address that. China? I'm glad you, you brought that up. Go and give you I'm going to address Russia? each of those right now. You this is the false you lies of a professional politician. There you have it. Your watch. So you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The foreign policy experience that you all have Shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. I have to address that. So our relationship with Israel will never be stronger than by the end of my first term. But it's not a client relationship. It is a friendship. And you know what friends do? Friends help each other stand on their own two feet. So I will lead Abraham Accords 2.0. I will partner with Israel to make sure Iran never is nuclear armed. But you know what I love about Israel? And I've been there probably in the last 10 years more than most people on this stage. You know what I love about them? I love their border policies. I love their tough on crime policies. I love that they have a national identity and an iron dome to protect their homeland. Wait, wait, what? Iron Dome. You love that they have. That was Raytheon that built that. Huh. Note the um, uh, the applause, though. This is what I said. This this crowd last night um, was very difficult to read because they went back and forth, and I think it really does capture where the electorate inside the Republican Party is. There are things that all of these people were saying that they kind of agree with. Like, Nikki Haley's defense of defending our freedom-loving uh, uh, nations, our friends, right? Like Israel. That got a lot of applause. When she laid into him as not knowing what the hell he's talking about, you have no foreign policy experience, they went nuts for that. But then they're also going nuts when he's like, no more money for Ukraine. <laughs> so people are, uh, I think people are really torn on some of these issues and the candidates right now. But I mean, what? To quote Hillary Clinton, at this point, what difference does it make, right? Uh, Trump's probably the nominee. Although he is going to turn himself into the jail at uh, Fulton County in a couple of hours, and then everybody's good. So I've, uh, my, my, uh, my question remains from the other day. Um, who do you think makes more money off of the mugshot merch, the merchandise, right? Who makes more, the Trump campaign or the Democrats? Seriously. Because you know this, his mugshot's going to be everywhere. And if you're Donald Trump, do you do the smiling mugshot or you, do you do the, the stoic, straight-ahead Rudy Giuliani mugshot? Or, uh, you know, do you just go like, I don't know, like Florida man kind of mugshot? I don't know. There are a lot of options out there to work with. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, Ikifu on Twitter says, how about a price is right type of portion to these debates? Like, what is the Defense Department budget? Closest to the total without going over. Moves on to the next round. Yes, I like it. Dean, welcome to the program. Dean, what's going on? Hi, Pete. I was just thinking what a wonderful time it must be to be a host like you, especially as knowledgeable as you are. How? What kind of a time it must be? It must be a wonderful time. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's just too much content. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I, I tuned in to watch the debate, and I felt like I got an episode of the, the families of the housewives of Atlanta. I mean, you know, isn't a debate? I, I couldn't find much of a debate, period, other than once the question got out of the commentator's mouth. Really? Is, well... What did you I mean, what, what did you think of the the whole argument between Haley and Ramaswamy and Mike Pence and Ramaswamy over the funding of Ukraine and our position in the world? I mean, that's a debate right there. They were having a, a very spirited one, I thought. I, I okay. I you know I I guess I was looking for something more like the, to the level of their intelligence and to their forethought and stuff like that, and it just seemed like it. Everything degenerated into a shouting match, which which left me wondering, you know, why why can't they have a civil debate? I mean, I can't imagine somebody infuriating you enough that you would get into a shouting match on the air with them. What? I mean, other than for ratings. So is what? that what their whole purpose is? Okay. For all right. First of all, I don't do anything on the show for ratings, quote unquote. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I just think? I. No, I, I, I engage with people as I engage with them, and I engage with them as they, they do with me. Uh, but uh, that aside, uh, I think the reason why they were yelling and screaming at each other was because the crowd was was cheering and, and screaming and stuff. And so they were they were trying to make themselves heard over the crowd. So I think that was the... Uh, and, and we're getting feedback there off of your phone, Dean. I apologize, but I don't know what... Or Echo, rather. Um, I think that's what prompted a lot of them to be yelling. But look, the format, when you put eight people on the stage and they're all trying to get... I mean, because they were up there for two hours and uh, Mike Pence had the most amount of time and he had uh, 12 minutes and 26 seconds. So out of two hours... Minus commercial breaks, but two hours on air, and he gets 12 and a half minutes, and he's number one. Number two was Vivek Ramaswamy with 11 and a half minutes, and Chris Christie with 11 and a half minutes, and then Ron DeSantis with 10 minutes. So they're all trying to get more time, you know? Uh, and 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 so that's how you do it. And it, you got to yell and scream at each other when the crowds are, are applauding. You got to be heard. Uh, let me jump over here and get uh, Chris on next. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hello, Pete. How hey, are you? I am all right. What's going on? Last night, the last question when the panel asked them if if they're going to stick to the pledge they made that whoever the nomination, uh, whoever won the nomination, they would vote for them. Yeah. And the. The guy on the very left, I forgot if that was the ex-governor or the guy whose last name starts with a B, he did not vote. He 
refused to say he was going to stick to the pledge. But what he mentioned in his explanation, he specifically labeled January 6th as the insurrection. Mm-hmm. That was Asa that Hutchinson. Was nothing but giving the left everything they want. I really hated that. Yeah, that was Asa Hutchinson um, at the very end when asked, you know, would you support the nominee? Would you, you know, uh, stick to the uh, the pledge that you made? And, uh, yeah, and he talked about J6. He talked about the 14th Amendment, if I recall. That's when he mentioned that and how, you know, we may not even be able to vote for him. There may be, you know, if he's convicted, it, it might violate the Republican Party rules, too. But when he, he called January 6th the insurrection, mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a a demonstration that turned into a riot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not a true insurrection. And for him to call it that, I was just, I was shocked. Yeah. No, yeah, the, like the word, the use of the word is definitely, uh, is definitely up for debate. Um, I don't like it either. However, I do recognize that, you know, the thing that makes us America, going back to, you know, Washington, to Adams, that initial transfer of power. It's the peaceful transfer of power. And we did not see a peaceful transfer of power there. That was not peaceful. Um, and I think that's, that's you know, that's why people wrestle with it. I appreciate the call. I don't, I don't like the term insurrection, and I don't like the way it's weaponized against every single Republican or anybody that voted for Trump. I don't like that either. All right. Well, there you go. Now you've heard, I think, all of the highlights from the debate. I'll see you tomorrow. Y'all don't break anything while I'm gone.